Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Well, as Dennis mentioned, we're concluding a series on the gospel of God. And uh, Romans 8, especially 1 through 8, is the clearest... Um, most, um, what's the word, the, the, the most comprehensive presentation of the gospel in the Bible. And I want you to, to hear something really clearly. Paul said to the Galatians, because they were really, you know, Dennis shared last week about how they were veering off course and they were starting to try to keep the law. They were trying to, they were trying to live in the flesh and, and, and be acceptable to God in the flesh even though they had started out in the Spirit. And he is pretty upset with them about that. And he says, look, the gospel that I presented to you was not given to me by any human being. It was directly given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So what Jesus wanted us to know, because this Pharisee of Pharisees, this teacher of the law, was knocked off his horse by the Lord while he was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians to have them put in jail or persecuted or executed or whatever he was going to do with them. And the, and the Lord Jesus appeared to him, and uh, he hated Christians, and he hated Gentiles because he was a Jew of Jews and all that stuff. And the Lord of all things called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so now he's, he's writing to this, this church that's a... That's a weird mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And he says, look, I'm giving you the gospel that will transform your life. He received it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So everything that Paul is saying is from the heart of Jesus. Jesus gave this to him. And so Paul and Jesus are in line with each other. They, they are, uh, you know, uh, Paul is basically preaching in, in, in writing to this Roman church the gospel that Jesus gave him. And the Jews, the Jewish believers are having a very difficult time letting go of the law, especially circumcision, which was the first law ever given. It was given to their father Abraham, and it set the Jews apart from all the other peoples of the world. They were the chosen people. And suddenly the door is open to the Gentiles. And so the Jews are struggling with a lot of things. They're struggling with the fact that the law is being discounted as not having any further purpose in their lives. And they're struggling with the fact that Gentiles can now be the chosen people. <laughs> and so they're really struggling in this transition from being Jews to being believers and followers of Christ, the Messiah. And so they're struggling with this. And so here's what Paul says to them, and I'm just going to give you the quick overview, and, and if you are getting, like, if you're like, yeah, Neil, I get it. I, I get the fact that, that the first, you know, Romans 118 through 511 is about the judicial side of the cross and, and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sins, and, 
And uh, Romans 5, 12 through the end of chapter 8 is about the organic side, about the, the fact that it has nothing to do with the blood. This is all about the cross and that we were crucified with Christ. So the blood deals with our sins. The cross deals with the sinner. Okay, Neil, I get it. If you're there, good. That means Dennis and I have done our job. When you're tired of hearing it, that means that we've gotten the point across. And so I want to pick up kind of where Dennis left off last week and talk about how... Okay, so, so let me just say this. In the cross of Jesus, the old covenant and everything that went before the cross is, done, is, 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 is dying and, and, and going away. And the cross is the, is the stake in the ground of God to say everything from here on is, is becoming new, starting with believers. Now, I'll unpack that a little bit. But Jesus said that, or, or Jesus, Dennis, they're not the same person. Dennis, he's very Christ-like, but he's not quite Jesus. Um, Dennis said that in the Bible, when you open your Bible uh, you know, to where the Old Testament ends in Malachi and the New Testament begins in Matthew, that's really kind of a, not really true that it's the New Testament quite yet. Because it's not until the cross that the New Testament starts to come alive. The new covenant. See, it's an old covenant that's done away with, and it's a new covenant that's been presented to us in and through the cross. And in and through the Spirit. Do you know the first time that Jesus mentions the new covenant? Anybody know when that was? The Last Supper. And, it, and it's only recorded as the new covenant by Luke. And it's interesting. It's, it's Luke 22.20, which is, you know, we're in 2022. That's how I remember this. Luke 22.20 says, this cup that you're about to drink is the cup of my blood, the cup of the new covenant in my blood. That's what he says. That's the first time he ever mentions the new covenant. And so the new covenant does away with the old covenant. And the old covenant was based on the law and keeping the rules and being good rule keepers and good law keepers. And every blessing was based on how well you kept the law. And one of the things that, that we find out when we, we study the new covenant and we hear Paul talk about the gospel is the law was never intended to make us holy. It was only intended to show us how unholy we were. So we would turn and reach towards, the, 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 uh, towards Jesus. We don't need to keep the law. We need a Savior. Sin has killed us. Sin has said, you are guilty. And Jesus says, you are forgiven because of the blood of the new covenant. And not only that, you don't even have a relationship with the law anymore. You don't. I think Dennis made that really clear last week. And by the way, if you're not sure about that, let me just encourage you. Go ahead and try to keep the law. Just go ahead. Because Jesus said, 
Let's just take a few excerpts from the Ten Commandments, and let me tell you how this really goes down. You've heard it said, you shall not kill. Well, I mean, how many, how many here has killed anybody? You've you killed somebody. Okay. Was that in Vietnam? Yeah. That, that's rare, but, but, you know, and I'm sorry, because that, that stays with you, I know. Randy's a veteran, and he was in a war. I've wanted to kill some people, but I've never done it. <laughs> um, never my children. Um, only my wife a few times. No, I'm kidding. She's wanted to kill me a few times. But no, honestly, um, but Jesus said, okay, so here's the deal. You've heard it said you shall not kill, but I say, and who is he? Who is Jesus? He's God in human flesh. He says, Here's the, the high jump bar is set at thou shalt not kill, but I'm moving the bar up to pole vault level. Thou, thou shalt not be angry with your brother because it's the same thing. Ooh. And by the way, I'm not giving you a pole, so you've got to clear that thing on your own. You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Well, I mean, okay, I don't, I've never committed adultery against my wife. It says if you look on a person to, to desire them sexually, if you, if, you, if you commit adultery, or if you don't commit adultery, that's high jump bar. Let's just raise that thing to pole vault bar. By the way, high jump is about, the record The record's like eight feet. Pole vault is like 22 feet, something like that. And you don't get a pole. you got to clear that on your own. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, yeah. and, and, and so at the beginning, though, he, he doesn't say, I came to do away with the law. He doesn't say that. He says, I came to fulfill the law. Okay. The law will never pass away. The law is the law. The law is the heart of God. It's holiness. It's pure. It's perfect. It, it will never give an inch. And then Paul says in Romans 7, the problem with the law is it will never give an inch. And if you're married to Mr. Law, then you have to be a perfect wife. Because he's never going to be satisfied with you for any other reason than being a perfect wife to the law. All the time, every day, 24-7, 365, you better keep the rules. You better do it right or I will condemn you to death. And so Jesus says we're in a, we're in a real pickle here because we aren't able to keep the law. No one has ever been able to keep the law except for one person. Who was that? Jesus. Kept it perfectly. And then guess what? He died in our place for the penalty for us breaking the law. He, he was the only human being that ever lived the law perfectly. And then he switched places with us and died for the penalty of our sin, which is the wages of sin is death. That's what you have to pay. And so either the law has to die, Mr. Law has to die, our husband, the law has to die, or we have to die. That's the only way to get out of that, that old covenant with the law. And so Jesus comes, and he dies for us, and all our guilt is wiped away by his blood. It's all gone. I don't care what you've done in your life. Every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit is, has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But not only that, that was, what, that was what the last Adam did 
He wiped that away with his blood. But then he wrapped up humanity himself in the last Adam because the first Adam plunged humanity into sin and death. The last Adam wraps us up in himself, takes us to the cross, and dies there, not only for us, but he dies as us, as, as, the, as the ultimate man, the, 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 the federal head of the human race on the other end of things. He takes us to the cross, and we are crucified in him on that same cross. And we are buried with him in his tomb. I've been to that tomb. I didn't realize at the time that was my tomb that I was looking at in the, in the garden. But that was my tomb. And then he, he's, he, he's raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. And guess what, guys? You are raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? And we are raised. The law has no jurisdiction over us anymore. We died. And we are married to another who is Christ. And Dennis said it last week, that we might bear fruit to God. Works of the law, fruit of the Spirit. Works of the law, works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. There's work, and then there's resting and bearing fruit. And that's how we're supposed to live. The law was never meant to make us holy. It was just to show us how sinful we were. And the more we try to keep the law in our own strength, the more we do the things we don't want to do and we don't do the things we want to do and we end up in that wretched man situation. Now, here's the reality of the situation, guys. It is very hard. We're talking about mind transformation. It is very hard to believe this, to accept this, to receive this, and to live this. It's just hard. It's difficult. I don't know why it's so hard. But I, I, have, I have lived most of my life running against the wall with my head trying to get through that barrier of the wall so I could please God, or the law so I could please God. Does that make sense? I've got to do this. I can't, I've got to stop sinning. Why do I keep doing this? Lord, I'll never do it again. Oh, <coughs> there's a good way to be married to the law again. Just make vows. What do you do when you get married? You make vows, right? <laughs> Lord, if you'll forgive me this one more time, I promise you, I'll never do it again. And five minutes later, I did it again. Because that just empowers the law. I mean, it empowers sin. The law empowers sin. The power of the law, or the power of sin is the law. I'm going to get this right. The power of sin is the law. Says the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, about verse 56, right in there. The power of sin is the law. The law is perfect. The law is good. The law is right. But when, it, when, when it's put before us and says, okay, this is what you have to do, and it's not high jump level, it's pole vault level, we just die. We just can't pull it off. There's no way. In our strength, there's no way. In our will power, there's no, we just can't pull it off. And I've just not understood the way of the Christian life and how it's supposed to work. Because it, it seems logical, doesn't, doesn't it, that we're supposed to be good and try to please God? You're taught that, right? Be a good little boy and you won't get a spanking. Don't steal your 
friends' toys. Don't lie to your mom. I remember doing that one time. I, she told me not to touch her scissors that she had laid on the couch while she was working on some, some uh, sewing project. And she laid them a certain way and then went out to the clothesline. And I, you know, the law says don't touch the scissors. So as soon as she clears the door, I go pick the scissors up. I have no interest in scissors before she said don't touch them. And I'm like, he's got my hair. And I laid him back down, and I'm, you know, I heard her come in, you know, I'm done with those. I didn't touch them. She comes in. She said, Neil, did you touch my scissors? I said, uh, no, ma'am. And she said, well, a little bird told me that you did. I've hated birds ever since. <laughs> I got a whipping for touching the scissors. But, you know, that's how we're trained. We're trained. You get rewards for keeping the law. You get, you get punished if you don't. And that's kind of bred in us. And it's kind of unfortunate, although there's, you know. But Paul said, okay, here's the purpose of the law. Here's the purpose of the law. It's not that we might keep it, but that it might discourage us to the point that we see that we can never escape sin on our own. And here, here's the, if you can find that scripture in Galatians where it talks about the tutor or the schoolmaster or whatever, can you find that for me? So, so here's, here's the deal. Let me explain this. Uh, Paul says in, in Galatians, I believe it's Galatians 3, pretty sure it's Galatians 3, that the law, it says schoolmaster, that leads us to Christ. Here it is. Why then was the law given at all? Because it doesn't make us holy. It doesn't make us right. I mean, it says that really clearly. No one will be justified by keeping the law. It says just a few verses before that. So why was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgression until the seed, talking about Jesus, whom the promise referred to had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Next verse. Before the, the, before the coming of this faith, we were held custody under the law, locked up until faith was to, uh, faith was to, be, to come to, would be revealed. The faith that was come. So, so here, here's what it's saying. We're justified by faith, not keeping the law. Okay, so... The law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now hold that thought right there. The word guardian, it's also, uh, it's, it's, it's translated tutor, it's translated schoolmaster, it's translated all kinds of ways. The word there is pedagogos. And what a pedagogos was, was that these rich families that had children that they wanted to go to boarding school, the Greeks did this. They would take their child and they would put them in the custody of this pedagogos who was both a guardian and a teacher. But his job, or yeah, it was usually a male, his job was to take this child from home and travel to where the child was to be educated. As long as there was, the, it was as long as this pedagogos had custody of this child. He was to teach the child and instruct the child all along the way. 
But once he reached the school and turned the child over to the, the, the school and, and the um, uh, administrators and teachers and so forth of the school, his authority was relinquished at that point. He had no further jurisdiction over this child. Does that make sense? The law instructed us in our unrighteousness and our sinfulness and told us, it led us to Jesus and said, look, you need a Savior because I can't help you. You're just too bad. <laughs> You're too sinful. You need a Savior. And that's what's happened. The, the law has done its work. It's led us to Christ. So I'm going to pick up now because I, I want to say this one last thing. No wonder Paul says, as he's describing a person who wants to be good and does evil and doesn't want to do evil and does it anyway, no wonder Paul says two things at the end of Romans 8. Oh, miserable. That's what wretched means. Some people think, think that Paul is saying he's a wretch. That is not true. The word there is best translated miserable. Oh, miserable man that I am. I want to keep the law of God because it's good and holy and right. But when I try to do those good things that I, I, I want to do, I end up not doing them. And when I don't want to do those bad things, I end up doing them. You know, I, I just, oh, miserable man that I am, who, who will deliver me? Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Because obviously I can't do it. And then he, 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 he hits the punchline early. But he says, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the who that's going to deliver us from, from the uh, miser misery of trying to keep the law in our own strength and our own will. Does that make sense? So, hallelujah for chapter 8. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this. And, and I, what I've done is I've taken the NASB because it says the things that I want it to say the best. I mean, it, there's no translation that translates Romans 8 the way I would write it because I like the NIV here, and I like the ESV here, and I like the NASB here, and I like this version here and that version there. And so I kind of I took the New American Standard, which I grew up, I cut my teeth on that Bible, and I tweaked it a little bit to have some NASB or some, some ESV and some NIV in it so I really like, what you got here is the NHV, the Neil Haney version, okay? So this is what we're going to do. But this is all true. I mean, it's all translated. I'm not giving you some paraphrase. But I just like the way certain things, certain passages are said in certain verses. So I'm kind of, this is a synthesis of that. And it's accurate, trust me. You have to trust me because I'm the speaker this morning. Okay, let's go to, to Romans uh, 8.1. Hallelujah. <laughs> this is so good. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus has forever cleansed us from all sin, has cleansed us of a guilty conscience. And not only that, because of what Christ has done for us and because of his spirit that's been put within us, we don't even have to condemn ourselves anymore. We don't have to look at ourselves and say, what a miserable man I am. We don't have to do that anymore because 
because we're in Christ Jesus. He is now our life. It's so awesome. I just love that. I want to unpack this for us. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Real quickly, in, in Romans 7, Paul starts out talking about how the law, the law causes sin to come alive. And we, we tend to look at the law and then do what the law says not to. And, um, and as we do that over and over again, and every human being has that experience with the law, because we already said that only Jesus is the only one who ever kept the law perfectly, and the law is the power of sin. And so, and so towards the end of Romans 7, he starts talking about the law of sin. He was first just talking about sin and the law. Now he's talking about the law of sin. Well, the law is something that is, rep- is, is recurring. In fact, the law becomes a law in nature because we observe it over and over and over again. If an apple breaks off from a tree, what's it going to do? Fly up in the air? No, it's going to fall. What do we call that? The law. No, we call that the law of gravity. Thank you, Sir Isaac Newton and your brother Fig uh, Newton. Anyway, that was a joke. I know it was bad, but it was yeah. It was bad. Thank you. See, I, I do what I don't want to do. I say what I don't want to say. I can't help it. It's the sin dwelling in me that does the, the bad jokes, okay? The law of the spirit of life has set you free. Uh, in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. <laughs> okay. So, I told you that the first time Jesus mentions the new covenant is just before his death. He says, tomorrow I'm enacting a new covenant. My body's going to be broken, and my blood is going to be poured out. Take this cup, take this bread, my, body, my broken body, my poured out blood, and I'm going to establish a new covenant. Would you put up Jeremiah 33, or 31, 31 and following, please? This is the first time we hear of the new covenant in Scripture. It's in Jeremiah. Is that? Oh, that's 32. Sorry, I need Jeremiah 31. Uh, let me just get my Bible then and I'll just read it because we got the wrong Scripture there. Thanks, bro. Okay. So, Jeremiah is a very, very depressing book because it's about God's judgment on Israel. And he is telling them they're going into exile and, you know, all the bad stuff that that is about to happen to them. But towards the end of of Jeremiah, in beginning with uh, chapter 31, verse 31, he says this. Okay, listen up. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the people of Israel, and with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, hammered out in stone tablets, given through Moses, all these laws that you got to keep. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
this is the covenant I will make with the house of the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will put my law in their minds and write my law on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Listen to this. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That's the new covenant, guys. It's not like the old covenant written on stone tablets. The Holy Spirit now The Holy Spirit now comes and writes the law on our hearts. When Jesus was asked by one of the teachers of the law, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as you you love yourself. Thus sums up the Law and the prophets. The new covenant law is love. The new covenant law is love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. This is a new commandment I give to you, Jesus says to the disciples just before he establishes the new covenant the next day. This is is the new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I've loved you. But who naturally loves your neighbor? Who naturally loves your enemy? Who naturally loves the unlovable? Even that commandment we can't keep in our own strength. We we have been given the Spirit of Christ. And so, what... Okay, (laughs) let me just keep reading here. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Guys, okay, so the rest of the chapter, what Paul is doing is he's contrasting trying to live this life in our own strength, independent of God, to try to either please him or ignore him. You, You can only do one of two things in the flesh. You can either try to work really hard to please God or you can just know, ignore them and do your own thing. And Christians have that, they, they have that choice. God never takes that choice away from us. I don't care what the predestination people say. We have a choice to live in the flesh or live by the Spirit. And the whole chapter for the rest of, um, the first half of the chapter is about whether we're going to live in the flesh or live by the Spirit. Now, the choice to live by the flesh doesn't just mean that we just sin, sin, sin. That's not the point. That's what kind of ends up happening. But the point is that living in the flesh means that I'm living in my own strength, my own power, according to my own will, even if it's to do good things to try to please God. Does that make any sense? Okay, God, here's what I'm going to do for you, and I want you to bless it. That is not how God works, (laughs) and that's not how we should work. You know, the flesh 
loves attention. The flesh loves accolades and and, uh, the flesh just loves to look good. And the flesh will do all kinds of things to look good. The flesh will teach Sunday school. The flesh will preach. The flesh will go to the mission field. All to try to preserve its life because it doesn't want to die. But if you live according to the flesh, Paul says, you will die. Now, just like Adam and Eve, you're not going to drop dead because you're living according to the flesh. You're not going to just keel over dead. But the results of living a life in the flesh is misery, it's emptiness, it's hollowness, it's frustration, it's, it's just... Like when we live in the flesh, when we live independent of God's spirit and we try to do anything, whether it's sinning or being good, whether it's pleasing God or disobeying God, whatever we do in the flesh produces death. It produces... So the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Doesn't that sound good? The flesh doesn't produce any of that. It, that's why it's death, because that's all life. Love is life. Joy is life. Peace is life. Self-control is life. When you can walk past the bully in the alley that I've talked about and, and not give up your lunch money, that's life. It's, it, life in the spirit produces, well, life, abundant life. Jesus didn't, Jesus, didn't Jesus say, that's why I came, to give you life and give it to the full? But when we try to, to please God in our flesh, when we try to, to, to be good, to do good things, to even do spiritual things, like Dennis said last week, even I'm going to pray an hour a day and I'm going to read my Bible an hour a day and I'm going to memorize 15 verses of Scripture a week and I'm going to, 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 blow it, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fall flat on my face and realize that I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't do this. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, this is verse 3, by the way, what the law could not do, the law could not produce holiness in us, weak as it was through our flesh, God did. He did it for us. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. God fulfills the law by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, as an offering for sin. He condemns sinful man, right? Now, what does he condemn? What does it say he condemns? Sin. Sin is what he condemns. Sin is under his condemnation. Sin is cancer growing on his universe. Sin is cancer growing in the hearts of those that he created to be his children. And so he is going after sin. And he crucifies, uh, well, he crucifies us so sin has no jurisdiction over us. Listen, just like the law didn't pass away, sin hasn't passed away, temptation hasn't passed away. Any of you who have lived more than 10 minutes this week know that that sin and temptation haven't left the planet. And neither has the law. 
they're all still very much alive. Sin, temptation, the law is very, still very much alive. But we were crucified with Christ. And so, and so sin was condemned in the flesh, and Jesus died our death so that sin wouldn't have any jurisdiction over us any longer. So that the righteous requirements of the law, now listen to this, might be fulfilled in us. Now, here's a shift. Here's a shift, guys. Let, let me just explain this. So I said that Jesus died for us to deal with our sin. We died with Jesus to deal with our sinner, to deal with the old man. And now in the spirit, in the resurrection, so, so Jesus' death deals with sin, sins. Jesus' cross deals with the sinner, deals with us, and we're crucified with him. But then we're raised to live a new life in the spirit. So Jesus has done something for us, He's done something to us and with us in the cross, and now he's doing something in us. As we're raised from the dead, we get his spirit. In the resurrection with him, we get his spirit. And the spirit empowers us then to live this Christian life. So the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us now, by the Spirit, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let me just read real fast the contrast here. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the... I mean, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and that ends in death, with a little d. We're always dying when we're trying to live in the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who walk according to the flesh cannot please God. Big shocker there, right? <laughs> However, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, the good news is here, guys, everything is done for you. Everything is set for you. You are set up. To have victory. You are set up to walk in the Spirit. You are set up to, to please God by living in the Spirit. I, got, I, I just hope I can say this in a way that makes sense and it, it will set you free. We've said, we've, we've been saying all along through the series that Paul is showing us the truth of who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. And we have to see that. We really have the Holy Spirit. See, the problem this morning is that I can tell you the truth, but the Holy Spirit has to communicate it and translate it and reveal it in such a way that it, it becomes real in your heart and life and mind. And that you can embrace it and actually live it. So you have to see it by, the eyes, by open eyes that the Holy Spirit opens for you. And I pray to God this morning that your, uh, the eyes of your, your, your minds might be open and your hearts might be open, that you see the truth that sets you free. And guys, go after this. Go after this. Say, Holy Spirit, I hear what Dennis and Neil are saying, but it's not real in my experience yet. I hear it and I see it. I mean, I kind of see it. I kind of get what they're saying. Please make this real in my life. And so then the second thing is, after we see it, is that we really need to know 
We need to know it. We need to know that it's true. And we need to reckon it's true. And say, I don't care what my experience tells me. The Word of God says I died to sin, I died to the law, and now I have the Spirit living in me to live through me so that I can please God and, and, and live free of straining and striving. I got a quote from Watchman Nee on this. And, and just a quick story about this, about how, how, the, how living according to the flesh... Okay, so... I don't want to throw you guys off. I feel like I just turned a corner and you, you hit the, your head on the window as we turn the corner real fast. So let me just go back for a second. So God has given us everything that we need. He has given us his spirit to live according to the spirit. So we see it, we know it, we reckon it to be so, and then we we present our, ourselves to God and say, okay, God, you've told me that I'm not a slave to sin anymore, but I need to present myself to you as a slave to you and to righteousness that leads to holiness, that leads to good things, that leads to life, that leads to joy and peace and all those things. Would you please take my offering and, 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 and you know, just consume it with your spirit? And make it real in my life. Because I'm tired of hitting my head against the wall of trying to be good for you. And trying to please you in my own strength. I can't do it. I give up. Watchman Nee says this. He says um, that he visited his home of a, of a couple. And, uh, and as he was in the home of this couple that he was staying with... Uh, he was in this particular city and probably speaking and staying in a guest home like many uh, Christian speakers do. This couple, after dinner, they said, Mr. Nee, we have a problem we need you to pray for. We need you to ask God to give us patience because we are very impatient with our children. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that. I, I never did with mine, never perfect. But anyway... Um, would you please, please pray for us that we can have patience? And he said, I'm sorry, but I can't pray that for you. And they said, why not? We're so impatient with our children, and you're such a man of God. Would you, if you would just pray for us, maybe God would give, you, give us patience. He said, have you prayed for patience? They said, yes, every day we pray for patience. He said, has God answered your prayer? They said, no. He said, why do you think that he's going to answer my prayer for patience if he hasn't answered yours? Oh, because you're, Mr. Nee, you're Watchman Nee. You're, you're a spiritual man. He said, I'm sorry, but I cannot pray that for you. I can't pray it for you because it won't work. And they said, oh, are we so bad? Are we so terrible? That have we gone so far in our impatience that we just can't be patient with our kids? Are we that bad? And he's like, well, yeah, pretty much so, yeah. He said, because you don't need patience. You need the one who is patient. You need the one who is patience. If you need patience, no, you need Jesus. You need the spirit of Christ living in you. He says, you don't, you don't need uh, to, not, to, to, to need a better temper. 
or not to have a temper, for God to take your temper away. You need Jesus who, who never gets angry. He says, you don't need purity. You need the one who is pure. You don't need power. You need the one who is powerful. He says, God has given us his Holy Spirit, and when, we, when love is needed, the fruit of the Spirit is love. When joy is needed, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It is always true. It doesn't matter what your personal deficiency is, whether it be a hundred and and one different thing, God has one sufficient answer, His Son, Jesus Christ. The answer to every human need is Jesus and His Spirit living in and through you. And He says this, we all have the same Christ dwelling within, but revelation of some new need will lead us to spontaneously trust in Him to live out His life in that particular area. Greater capacity means greater enjoyment of God's supply. Another letting go, a fresh trusting in Jesus. Another stretch of land conquered. Christ is my life, the secret of enlargement. And he says this, we have spoken of trying and trusting. The difference between the true, believe me, is the difference between heaven and hell. If you want to be in hell, just try to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Just try it in your own strength. You will be in hell pretty fast because you can't pull it off. Only Jesus can do that. I have a, I have a hero in the faith, uh, Malcolm Smith, great preacher of grace. And he says this, the biggest day in my life, he's British, so instead of the greatest, he says biggest. I would say the greatest day, but he says, the biggest day in my life was the day that I gave up trying to please God. He said, I saw that for what it is, and I gave it all up. He says, God, I'll never try to please you again. I cannot live this Christian life. Only Jesus can live the Christian life, and if I'm ever going to do it, he's going to have to live his life through me. That's how it works, guys. It's either flesh or spirit, but there's no in-between. There is no in-between. And it says, you are not in the flesh, verse 9. Where, verse 9, can we get that back up there? You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, as the Spirit of God indwells. So that, that just means the potential's there. That means the potential's there. We, we got we to say what Malcolm Smith said. I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to live in the flesh any longer. I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, I have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in me. The Spirit of Christ dwells in me. Jesus, you're going to have to live your life through me in your spirit. Let's jump to verse 12. I love this right here. I love this right here. You've got to remember this right here. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not under obligation to live according to the flesh any longer. You're not obligated to keep the law. You're not able to, obligated to try to please God. You're not obligated to try to do good and not do bad. In fact, guys, here's the thing. That's, that's, that's independence. Hudson Taylor said his biggest day was when he took his eyes off of himself and the failure that he was and the sinner that he was and the, and, and the one who utterly was 
devoid of anything good and looked away from himself and looked away to Jesus and saw that Jesus was his life and that Jesus was not only the vine, but he was the branches and he was the leaves and the flowers and the sunshine and the soil and everything, 10,000 times everything he needed was in Christ. And he stepped out of himself and over into Christ and, and, and let Christ begin to live his life through Hudson Taylor. And he calls that the exchanged life. Lord, I give you my futile, ridiculous failure of, of, a, of a human being trying to live according to my own strength and my own will. And I take your spirit, your life, your strength, your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your self-control, and I take that. I think I told this not too long ago, but it's worth repeating, and I'll end with this. Well, I'll say I end with this. This is my last illustration. I'm going to read the rest of the the passage here. It's very fast. It's self-explanatory, and we'll be done. I have a good friend, Danny Meyer, who uh, was associate pastor at Vineyard Columbus. When we adopted into the vineyard, we came in through Danny Meyer. He was the associate pastor there, and he was our connection, and he came and talked to uh, the, the group of us that were you know, trying to find a, another denomination after we left the Mennonite Church back in 2000. Danny planted a church out of, uh, out of, of Vineyard Columbus, and it's the Delaware County Vineyard. It's a church of about 800 now, and he and, and Penny, his wife, just, just retired. She's been battling cancer for several years, and they just, they just said, you know, we, we, just need to, we just need to hand this off. But what a great man of God. And Danny was a, 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 used to be Jewish, and I became a Christian. And uh, he, um, he says when he was a kid, his grandpa, like he lived in, in one part of New York, and his grandfather lived in another part of New York. It's like his grandpa lived in Queens, I guess. And every weekend, his grandpa would catch the train and, and come into where they lived and would visit the family for the weekend. It just, was, it just happened every weekend. And every time grandpa got off the train, and Danny was a little boy, he, he would do this little game with, with Danny. He would reach in his pocket and he'd say, well, first of all, he'd say, so Danny, what do you have in your pocket? <laughs> and sometimes all he had was pocket fuzz. And so he'd pull that pocket fuzz out, and he'd say, well, I, I just got some pocket fuzz. Or maybe I have a piece of gum or, you know, breath mint or something, you know, like a, yeah. And, uh, and so Grandpa would say, that is the finest pocket lint I have ever seen. I tell you what, I'm going to trade you this silver dollar, this shiny silver dollar for that pocket lint. How would that be? And they would make this exchange. And that happened every single visit until Grandpa died. But Danny says, that's how I live my life. I give God the pocket lint of my life. And I take his riches, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience. And I, live, I let him live his life through me. I exchange my life for his. And he does such a better job of living it than I do. Let me just read the rest of the chapter and then we're going to end here. I'll just make a couple more comments. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. 
That just means that you're going to kind of live a, a really sucky life that feels like death. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the misdeeds of the body, by the Spirit you're putting to death the misdeeds of the body. In other words, what does a dead person do? Nothing. So we don't allow our bodies, by, by living according to the Spirit, we just say no. We just say no to that. You're dead. You're dead. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. For you've not received the spirit of slavery again, leading to, or the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted by him. And we are sons and daughters, and we cry out to God, Abba, Father. We have that relationship with him now that we, we can call him Papa and Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Man, that is just mind-blowing stuff. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Guys, as, as we walk through this life and we, we seek to let the Spirit lead us and to live through us, it doesn't mean that hardships stop. We're persecuted at times. We're, we're, um, we, we struggle with all kinds of things. We, we, we're constantly dealing with the enemy attacking us, with, with coworkers gossiping about us. I mean, we, we go through this life and we experience all kinds of, of pain and suffering. It's just a part of this world. But if we keep the faith, if we run the good race in the Spirit and we keep the faith in the Spirit and we live in Jesus in the Spirit, then we're going to finish well, like Paul, and, and we're going to cross the finish line. And at the end of the day, we're going to be a very tired traveler who reaches our home and hears our Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. You allowed my Spirit to live through you, in you and through you. That's that's all I got. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you that the law of the Spirit overcomes the law of sin and death in our lives. And we don't have to live by the flesh. We can live the exchange of life, letting you live your life through us. Spirit of Christ. And God, may these words be life to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.